I'll be reading 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, exhortation to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're so grateful for uh, your word, for the working of your spirit, for uh, just the way that you have purposed and planned for our growth in Christ. Lord, uh, guide our time together. Uh, I, like Dan, I pray that I would give no offense to your word or your truth. Uh, illumine our hearts and minds. Empower us through your spirit, Father. Your, your, your word says you've come to both cause us to will to, to desire to do your will, and then you empower us to do it. So to that end, we give you thanks, Father, God, and lead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Today we're going to um, just, this is an amazing passage, as, as every, every passage in the Bible is. Chris teases me about that. Every passage I preach is the best passage ever, and, and this is no exception. Uh, just amazing stuff. I, I, I want to begin uh, really talking about some things in my past because the reality is this passage talks about living in godliness, being a disciple, and also allowing your life to impact the lives of others, being a disciple maker. So we're all in that camp, that boat. Years ago when I started my ministry, uh, I was young, I was inexperienced, I, I hadn't grown up in the church, and so I was pretty intimidated. Uh, and I needed somebody to come alongside me. I found a man in our church who had been there a number of years. He was a godly man. He was an encourager. He was uh, knowledgeable. And, and he was further down the, the road of, of life and spiritual growth than I was. So I collapsed right on to him and he to me, which was great. He uh, guided me, encouraged me. He taught me how to say words properly. It's not wash, it's wash. It's not ways, it's way. Uh, so Or all, or it's not alls, it's all. So, uh, you know, I had to correct. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff he had to do in my life. So, but, but he was gracious about it, and, and I grew to appreciate that. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing if you look back on your life and your spiritual growth, at some point you can identify uh, maybe somebody that came alongside you and encouraged you in the faith. Maybe they uh, actually formally discipled you in an intentional way. Maybe, maybe they just encouraged you. But we all, I, I trust, pray, hope have had people in our lives 
that have been examples to us, that have been discipling us in, in one way or another, and, and that's what the passage is about. And, and that's God's plan and purpose. I mean, this is obviously God's Word, and, and what God wants to do is come into our lives and in, in empower us to grow through the Spirit and the Word and through people in the body. You know, we, we say in our, our LTG brochure, it talks about the Word, the Spirit, and, and people. Uh, we're, we're always... Uh, trying, seeking to help one another grow in the faith, uh, using the Word and the power of the Spirit. So uh, this, although this passage is addressed to Timothy, who was a church leader in his day, he pastored in Ephesus, this passage has application to every one of us. Because in one way or another, in every facet of our lives, we are an example to and or a leader of others. It could be our kids, it could be co-workers, it could be uh, our spouses, it, it could be, in our case, we're, we're so pleased right now. We're, we're able to, to disciple into our grandson's life, which is really cool. So uh, anyway, he's going into ministry. So, so it's just awesome to be able to do that, to, to be used of God in that way. But what I want, don't check out because this is about a church leader. Do not check out. Hang with me today uh, because this is about all of us and, and employing uh, all the resources God has for us. So let's jump in at verse 6. Paul writes these words to Timothy. <clears throat> if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant. See, we can all be good servants somewhere. So he's talking about just this role of, of being a faithful, godly disciple, a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves in godliness. So this comes to Timothy, to all of us, as an encouragement to be good servants, to be faithful in this process of growing. And, and, and the thing that, that I think is so important in this first opening verse is, is the fact that we are being trained in what? The words of faith in sound doctrine. The word of God. We're being trained. These are the words of our faith and sound doctrine. That's what changes and transforms our lives. And, and so Paul lays that out right up front, trained in these things, uh, the, the things that you followed. And in Timothy's life, they had had impact. He'd followed them along the way. Uh, he was manifesting uh, the impact of the Word of God in his life in a very real way. The idea here of train is to nourish. It's to take in the spiritual food or provision God has given us through the Word by the working of the Spirit of God. The Spirit works in many ways. He teaches us. He illuminates us. He guides us. He empowers us. He does all these things. So, so what's in view here uh, is that we would study the Word. We would meditate on the Word. We, we would think deeply about the Word. We might even memorize the Word. Uh, don't, don't get turned off by that Word. It's a great Word to, to, to hide the Word of God in our hearts so that it's ever with us is an awesome thing. So that's what's in view. And what really mattered is this idea of being built up in the faith through the Word, the Spirit and uh, uh, living that out. You know, the, the Word of God isn't much good if it's in a book or it's just up here. It needs to work itself out in our lives, the way we relate to others, the way we serve, uh, the way we manifest the faith in our world. So that's all in view. Uh, looking back to the false teachers, Paul says, and, and this, this is an amazing passage. Uh, I've never, uh, in, at least in my memory, ever come to a passage of 10 verses with 14 imperatives in it or 14 commands. That's a lot of commands. Uh, and, and so this is big, heavy-duty stuff for us to pay attention to. 
The first one of those commands is have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Uh, Paul's referring back to the false teachers, and he calls their, their uh, teachings irreverent. Profane is what he means. Uh, he calls them even silly myths like old wives' tales. They're, they're just not of value at all. And, and he says, Timothy, by command, do not allow them to impact you. The idea is, is do not allow, allow that teaching, that influence in any way to detract from your godliness and your knowledge of the true faith and sound doctrine. Rather, he says, and this is the key to what I want to say today, the issue here is rather train, again, another command to continually and progressively day in and day out, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in the truths of the gospel. We'll get to that in just a moment. But the idea here is, is and the word, the word in the Greek is, is the word we have in our modern culture, gymnasium. When you go to the gym, what do you do? You work out, you exert yourself, you strain, you toil to, to do whatever it is you want to do. If you want to win a basketball game or, or you're working out in the gym to, to get yourself more physically fit, it's, it's intense, it's demanding, it uh, can be at times agonizing. And, and it's kind of that idea a little bit here that, that this journey that we take of being trained in godliness isn't uh, like they used to have. I don't know if you ever saw these commercials years ago. Uh, they had these things you could buy. I don't know if they were tapes or CDs or whatever, but you could turn a foreign language on beside your bed at night, and supposedly what they wanted you to believe is you'd wake up the next morning able to speak that language. I don't think that ever worked. Uh, I didn't see those catch on real well, but I was thinking if it didn't, you know, we could just get Dan's sermons and play them by our bed at night, and we'd grow up really strong, great Christians. But I'm sorry, it's not going to work. It's training. We have to take that in ourselves. We have to, we have to apply it to our lives. We have to literally uh, dwell on it. And, and what is it we're to dwell on? It's the godliness that really is the truth of the gospel. Back in chapter 3, verse 16, uh, the mystery of, the God, of godliness was revealed to us. And the text says there, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, speaking of Jesus, was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is the great gospel. This is what Jesus came into our world to do. He came in incarnate. He came in under the influence and power of the Spirit to perform miraculous signs to raise people from the dead. Uh, he was vindicated, it says, uh, in that way. Also, he was seen by angels in his, uh, you know, they were present at his birth. They gave uh, glory to that. He was there, or they were there when he was tempted. They were there at his resurrection. All of these things were, were manifestations of his life. He was proclaimed by Paul and others. He was believed in the world, and finally he was taken up into glory. That's the gospel. That's the basis of, of all we're to understand, know, and apply in our lives in, the terms of, in terms of godliness. So training in godliness is to grow in the depth of our understanding and belief of the gospel uh, rather than the false teachings, the heresies in our world. So how does all this happen? I, I had to add this to my message because the more I thought about it, the more I thought we really needed to, to think about this. If, if, if you look at the screen behind me, we'll see a passage from uh, Hebrews chapter 
10, verse 14. And I'm going to read the NIV because it makes a little more sense to me. The ESV says essentially the same thing. It says, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What does that teach us? God, by the incredible work of the gospel, has taken each person who believes and he's made us perfect. This is complete done work because we're in Christ, as we just sang. We are perfect before the Father. That's a a thing we'll talk about in a moment called our position. And the reality is we're still working out our condition or our current salvation. We call that perseverance in the faith. And so we're still working to become holy. We're perfect in our faith because of what Christ did. We're also being made holy by studying the Word and the power of the Spirit. Here's a couple other verses that are uh, in in the Scripture. There's there's two truths in in the Bible. One of them is all that God has done for us, and the second is is all we're called to do, and we shouldn't ever confuse those. But here in uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 3, we read this. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, Paul was writing to living believers and he said what? You've died and your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. That that is a positional truth. Because of what God has done for us in Christ, we're hidden with Christ in God. Right now, that can never be shaken or destroyed or taken away. No doubt you have in your life will ever change that truth. And that's what we need to believe. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, we read these words. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he has also called. And those whom he has called, he has also justified. And those whom he has justified, he has also glorified. Every one of these terms is past tense. If you're called, you're justified. If you're justified, you're glorified. So powerful, so perfect is the work of Christ. The moment we put our faith in Him, we're we're not only a son of God adopted into the kingdom, we are now what? Called, justified, and glorified. And we can live in that truth and that reality. That brings up what I call in the Scripture positional truths. There's two teachings through the Bible. One is our standing or position in God. And literally what this is is God's part in our salvation in Christ. It's the gospel. It's perfect and it's done. Nothing else ever needs to be done to change that. The problem is sometimes we take that lightly or we don't believe it, or we live as though that isn't the truth, and, and we find ourselves apathetic, or, or, or we just think God punched our ticket to heaven, and, and we live the rest of our life as though the gospel doesn't, didn't matter. That's, that's not correct. That's license. It's laziness. In addition and alongside our positional truth is the conditional or, or the state of our lives. Our part is shaped by the Word of God, through the power of the Spirit of God and brought more perfectly into our lives through the people of God. It's a continuous process that continues throughout our life until we die, until we're glorified. If we abuse this one, if if we aren't balanced with it, if we put too much emphasis on it, like it's all about us, it can lead to legalism. It can lead to moralism. And so, so the, the, the training in godliness needs to keep our focus on both those great truths in the Scripture and to live them out, 
moment by moment by moment. To believe them, allow them to impact our lives, and then allow us to use them and be used of God. It's a little bit like this. Our faith should shape our actions, which will then shape how we feel. What we believe will lead to what we do, which will lead to how we feel about life. What often happens in life is that we get that backwards. We are driven by our feelings, and we invariably react to those feelings in an ungodly way. We depend on ourselves, and we leave God totally out of it. Let me give you an example. Say, for example, at work, you were, uh, didn't get the best evaluation ever, and you began to get anxious and fearful about your job. Uh, what would you do? Man, I'm going to let fear consume me, drive me. So I'm going to go to work tomorrow or the next day or next week, and, and I'm going to work extra hard. I, I'm, I'm going to be in at 100 or 200%. And what happens is you exhaust yourself, and, and, and all of that uh, leads to poor performance. It leads to, to inner turmoil. And, and what we've done is left God clear out of the equation. He's not involved. But if we start with faith and our conviction that that God is a God in control, God is sovereign, God is able to meet every need I have, even if things aren't going well, I can go to work and do my best and trust God's provision, God's sovereign. If I keep that job, praise God. If I lose that job, God has something else for me. And in the midst of all that, I will have what? I will have his peace. I will have his contentment. I will have his life the life of Christ in me. So this is how it works. It's training our minds first so that we will live and feel in a true biblical way. Godliness, Christ-likeness in our state or condition, our part comes only as we grow, only as we grow in the knowledge of the truths of our standing or position in the gospel, God's part. I don't know if that helps, but this passage is all about our part. There's not a lot in it about God's part. And and I don't want you to to turn our faith into moralism because of the preaching and the teaching today. God works in us. He's given us the gospel. Our training in godliness is found and rooted and built on the gospel. So so with that in mind, let's move forward to to the instructions uh, that Paul gives to Timothy. In verse 8, he says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserves a full acceptance. For to this end, we listen to these words, toil and strive because we have our hope set before us on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, uh, what does Paul want us to grasp from this comparison uh, between Uh, striving for physical fitness in this world or or pick out any other passion people have. It could be golf. It could be reading books. It could be anything uh, by comparison with our passion for godliness. That's what Paul wants us to think about. You know, when you you think about a a high-performance athlete, an, an Olympian or a professional Athlete, what, what do they do? Their life is what they do. Their life is their, their uh, sport. Uh, they give eight, ten hours a day to their sport. And, and what Paul says is, you know, there's benefit in the physical uh, aspects of, of keeping yourself fit, of going to the gym, that kind of thing. But do not see that above 
the need for godliness in your life. Because godliness it will serve you not just here now, but through all eternity. So keep that in mind. Uh, are, are we giving the time and, ten- and attention, the energy, the effort that, a, that an athlete would give to their sport? Are we giving that to our faith? Is it that primary, that central in our lives? And, and that's the question that's addressed by this, this passage. So with that, let's uh, take a look at uh, some other aspects of it and, and, and understand our, our, our relationship with him not only grows us, but it empowers us to reveal him, reflect him, uh, give testimony to him in the rest of life, which is, I think, also throughout this. Paul says this tr- saying is trust- trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You know, if there's something you want to take to the bank out of this passage... Back in Paul's day, he said, Timothy, you want to take something to the bank? Here it is. Train yourself in godliness. And I want you to know today in Windsor, Colorado, that truth is every bit as valid as it was in Timothy's day. You want something about your faith to take to the bank? It says, train yourself in godliness. Make it a primary part of your life. Seek it. Look, look toward it. Uh, and he goes on to develop this thought, for to this end we toil and strive. The words here are to agonize, to, to give great effort, to, to be wearisome in your toil toward that end. Uh, are we doing that in regard to our godliness and growth in Christ? The idea, and, and, and it's not to be saved, it's to fill out, to grow up in this faith that God has provided for us in Christ. We already are saved. We already are free in Christ. But what do we do with that freedom? Are we just going to show God our ticket when we go into heaven? God, you punched my ticket 30 or 40 years ago, so I get in. Is, that's absurd. He, he, he says we're to be free. We're, we're to have the confidence and the boldness of our faith to live this truth, live godliness with power and conviction. That'll come out more in a bit. But he goes on to say... Uh, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. This is, this is where our, our, our faith needs to be grounded and rooted. We have a living God. We have a Savior. Uh, that's where our hope is set. It's the foundation of all this. It is, it is God's part. Are we building on that uh, with our part? Are, are we emboldened in this? Are we living in certainty of these truths? Or are we living in doubt and fear? I mean, I hear believers say from time to time, you know, I just don't believe God could love me. I think I'm worthless. Those are not words that should be uttered by a follower of Christ, a believer in the gospel who's embraced faith. We should say, I'm a child of God. I'm empowered by His Spirit. I am a living witness to the living God and Savior of all. I need to live with that kind of conviction and boldness. He is our living God, and He is our Savior. And again, this isn't teaching universalism uh, where it says for all those who believe. It's just saying that the gospel, in God's heart, God wants everyone saved. But they have to believe the gospel. They have to turn to Christ in order to be saved. Now we move on to the the part of this godliness that is, is really focused on boldness. There's a couple more imperatives here. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set 
the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity until I come. Devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Command, he says. Command and teach. You know, Timothy was going to a tough Tough place. Ephesus was, was a church that was beginning to grow, but there were false teachers. There was opposition there. He was a young man. He not only felt like he was being looked down on, I think he himself looked down on himself because he hadn't fully grasped the gospel. And so uh, Paul is, is encouraging him and discipling him, trying to build into him these great truths. And so he says, command these things uh, in the same way teach these things. You know, you're going to confront enemies or opposers. Be strong in the faith. Teach the faith, and you will be uh, where I want you to be. It goes on to say, let no one, another command, let no one despise you because of your youth. We think Timothy was probably about 30 at this time, and we know already that he was weak, he was insecure, he was young. Uh, You know, he didn't feel equipped or ready for the task. And we all feel that at some point in our journey, maybe more so when we begin and start in that journey, but we feel inadequate, ill-equipped, ill-prepared to serve God. Uh, We may have failures and disappointments in our life. Timothy maybe had some of those. I know this this whole idea, and we'll talk on it about a minute, about fanning his gift and and using his gift, but but what, what Paul wanted Timothy to focus on is the impact of godliness in his life, the development of his character. So he says, be set, but, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Again, another command, continually to work, continue to work in your life to be an example of godliness to those around you. Be that consistently. You know, for Timothy, the greatest way he could counteract anybody who would look down on him was to live in godly character that couldn't be disputed. And we have that same potential, that possibility, if we walk more deeply in the faith and allow God to continue to shape us, mold us into the person he wants us to be. Live as an example of Christ. We're examples wherever we live. You're either a good example or a bad example. That's the bottom line. Our kids looked at me at at times when I was raising them as a father, and I was not a good example. Hopefully there were other times I was a better example. But but that's the point. Live, Timothy, live. And and all of us live in a way that we're a good example for God. You know, Paul, Paul said what? Follow me as I follow Christ. This idea of being a good or godly example is pretty common in Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-7, it says this, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Here's a church full of people, average believers like us, who were an example, all of them, to churches in two other providences. They were examples because they were living out the truth of the gospel. They were well balanced between their position, all that God has done, and their condition, all they need to be doing to serve and grow in our faith. Timothy wasn't left to ponder what that ought to look like in his life. Paul said what? He said, let your speech be proper. By that he meant let your speech be such that it uh, was absolute truth, but also speech that was uh, 
gently uh, driven by the Spirit of God and the convictions of your faith. Let your conduct, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the outworking of the gospel in your life be evident. Your character, you know, your love, your hope, your joy, all of these things, may those be manifested and may it be covered over with love. Jesus said, as I've loved you, what? Go love one another. Let your love be manifest to those around you. Timothy, may, may love radiate and, and, and overwhelm those that you're hanging out with so they see the love of the Father. In regard to your faith, be bold to proclaim your faith uh, and be real about it. You know, any change or transformation in my life, I'm, I'm here to tell you one absolute central truth. There is only one person responsible for the transformation in my life, and that's Jesus Christ, period. Period. I've done none of this myself. And it's true for all of us. It's Him in us through the gospel. So I'm, I'm free because of my confidence in Him to admit my failures, to, to look at my weaknesses, but also to use those then to turn back to the power and truth of the gospel. That's how we need to deal with that. And then lastly, he says, and, and, and be quick to point them to God. You know, He's, he's the reason. I was able to tell a, a neighbor who was a little bit critical of us. Uh, we wanted to do some things together. And uh, she said, well, yeah, we'd be okay with that as long as you don't preach at us or leave us in Bible study. Okay. <laughs> what do you do with that? So I, I just, you know, I just said back to her, you know, I love Jesus. And uh, whatever comes out of me is because I love Jesus. And so if you're going to accept me, you're going to hang out with me, you've got to accept Jesus. Uh, not, not as your Savior. I mean, you know, you're going to have to accept me. You're going to accept Jesus to, to that degree that he's transformed my life. So the, so the idea is, is just live with that consistency. The word for, for purity here is, is integrity and consistency. It's character. It's just a synonym of character. Live with godliness as the manifestation, the overarching picture of your character. Until I come, Paul says. He wanted to visit Timothy and, and he wanted to encourage him in his ministry and his life until he was able to get there. So he says in verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation and teaching. And we could take these and say, well, those are what Timothy was supposed to do in Ephesus. But they're not one of these things we shouldn't be doing in our homes with our kids or in our discipleship groups, our community groups, wherever we happen to gather with believers. We're to open and read the Word of God. There is no more power in the world except the Word of God empowered, illuminated, uh, taught by the Spirit of God. And that's what he calls us to do. Uh, exhort. The idea there is to preach, to instruct, to guide, to, to discipline through the Word. We all need correction. That's what the Word of God is for. Sometimes it's rebuke. Sometimes it's correction. Sometimes it's just training. And also then the teaching, the things like we do here or wherever we gather. It's all for our godliness. Some of you remember maybe the name D.L. Moody, Moody Institute, Moody Bible Institute in, in, in Chicago and Moody Church. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists of the 1800s. And what was cool about Moody and one of the best things ever said about his life and his witness was said by a neighbor. They said, every time Mr. Moody comes home, you can just tell how much he's grown spiritually. Wow. If they can say that about Dwight L. Moody, uh, I pray to God that they would say it about all of us. I can be a better disciple. I can be a better example. Every one of us can be a better disciple, a better example of Christ. 
if we do these things? Are we growing in the way we should be growing? Are we living out the truth of the gospel? Is it seen in our lives? Uh, Are we uh, giving testimony of our faith in him? Let's wrap this up with the last statement. And, and, and I drew this from the, uh, the game Texas, no hold or Texas Hold'em. Yeah. Like I said, I don't play a lot of cards, but, but yeah. Anyway, the idea of, are you ready for all-in godliness? Put it all on the table. You know, in, in Texas Hold'em, you, you put what, 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 means, or what it means to be all-in is you put all your chips out in the middle of the table, and, and you're so confident, you're so secure that your hand's going to win, you're willing to put it all on the line. And so my question to all of us, are we all in, in godliness? Do we want that to be the manifestation of our lives? Paul says this, do not, another command, neglect another command, double commands. I, I never noticed this before. There's three or four places in this passage where there's two commands, right, side by side. Do not is a verb that is in the imperative form. Neglect is another verb in the imperative form. Whoa! You really, God, want us to get this, don't you? Because you inspired these words to be written. Do not neglect the gift you have, Timothy, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders held their, laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teachings. Persist in this for. By, doing, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The idea is, you know, God has equipped, you, has equipped you, Timothy. He's given you this gift, which was affirmed by the elders of the church. We don't know where that was, if that was in Ephesus or somewhere else. But, and we don't know what the gift was, and I think that's purposeful. You know, if, if Paul had mentioned the gift, then we'd all be standing around saying, you know, I can't teach because I don't have Timothy's gift. You know, I, I just never do good at it. So, you know, and I didn't get my gift the same way Timothy got his, and so I'm just going to lay back and do nothing. That's not what Paul wanted. He, he, we've all received gifts. This is, this is a gracious gift of God. Whatever your gift is, God has given it to you and wants to empower you through its use to extend, build, advance his kingdom. We're here to build, advance, and extend his kingdom, not our kingdoms. And, and the idea is that we would, we would use it faithfully. To not use our gifts is sin. Literally, that's what Paul is saying. Quit not using your gift, Timothy. Use it. In 2 Timothy 1.6, he, he also says, kind of in an in in admonishment tone, fan into flame your gift, Timothy. And, and what Paul was really saying is, Timothy, you're equipped. You have everything God purposes for you to have to serve in this role that you're serving in. You, you have the equipping you need from God. You've been called by God. He comes alongside to work in you, to change your will, to empower you through His Spirit to do it. And, and what was true of Timothy is true of us. We have everything we need in Christ. We just need to build rightly on the gospel, not on our own human effort, not on our own flesh, but in the power of the Spirit. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them, Paul says. Again, two more commands. So that all may see your progress, may see your example, may see your advancement in the gospel. The idea of practice and immerse is is to so enable your mind to be taught, instructed, matured, grown through God's word. Immerse yourself in the truth of the gospel. 
practice these things in your thoughts. And I'm learning this new phrase and concept, and, and I don't know where it's all going to lead, but, but this is the question, do you think about what you think? Now, before you go cross-eyed, what did he just say? Do you think about what you think? You know, we can go through life and just let whatever thought pops into our heads guide us, lead us, cause us to do whatever we think we ought to do. And that's to be led what? By the world. If we begin to think about what we think, am I thinking about the gospel? In my reaction to this situation in my life, am I thinking about Christ and the gospel and how he would have me respond? That's to think about what you think. That's to renew your mind. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. If you want to be conformed by the pattern of this world, just don't think about what you think. Just live life. Some good, some bad. But if you really want to live and advance your life in the gospel and godliness, begin to think about what you think. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With what? The gospel. Then you'll be able to do what? Test and approve God's good, pleasing, perfect will. You see, the gospel works. It's the path to God's richest blessing in our lives. Live that, he says. Immerse yourself in it completely. Saturate yourself in it. Let it overwhelm you so that it will shape you and mold you into the beautiful person God's called you to be. To be his instrument. To be his servant in the world. Immerse. I love what J. Vernon McGee says in this area. Don't take this in the wrong way. Don't beat yourself over it, uh, up with it. He says, I will not accept a daily devotion time as a substitute for reading and studying the Word of God. It will not work to open your Bible, to read a chapter at night, when you have one eye closed and both feet already in bed. Nor will it work in the morning when you are half awake and at the breakfast table about to go out the door to work. My friend, you couldn't study geometry, higher mathematics, or science like that. And this is the part I want you to take away. The Word of God is worthy of all that you and I can give to it. Do we see the Word that way? The Word of God is our life. Our whole life. It is worthy of every ounce of toil and agony we can give toward learning it, knowing it, and believing it and living it. He goes on to say, keep a close watch, another, another verb, or another command, on yourself and your teaching. Give attention to yourself. Examine yourself. Take a look at how you're doing. Ask yourself questions. Maybe find a, a disciple or a, a brother, sister in Christ to, to go through this process of are you growing in the way you should be growing? Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. You know, our lives impact others, our kids, everybody around us. Do you want to impact them for God, for the gospel? Absolutely. Persevere, persist. This is about the perseverance of the saints. Uh, our part is to persevere in our faith, to continue to believe, to continue to grow in these things and, and to allow them to be an expression in our life and in our world. Warren Wiersbe says this, the building up of the saved and the winning of the lost are the purposes of our ministry to the glory of God. Nobody would argue with that. He goes on to say, as good ministers, we preach the word. 
As godly ministers, we practice the word. And as growing ministers, we progress in the word. Dan's reminded us of, of this whole idea of, of it's not about perfection, it's about progression, it's about direction. And, and, and so as we wrap up here, I, I want you to ask yourself this for question first. Who am I discipling? Who am I example to? Look at your, your, your life. Could be your kids, could be your husband, could be your wife, could, could be your neighbors, could be uh, somebody, if you're serving a ministry in the youth group, could be them, could be a community group, other Believers, are, who are witnessing your life? Who are you an example to? And then ask yourself the question, are you intentionally growing in godliness? Because if you're not intentionally growing in godliness, it's a pretty good chance that you're unintentionally living in ungodliness. It's just by default. If we're not growing, we're probably not growing. The reality is, and again, I don't say this to guilt you, I say this to encourage you that, that the reality is God has made every provision we need in the gospel. And in his spirit, he'll come alongside and empower us to live this life. So are we growing in direction? Can, can we see ourselves as, as being uh, further down the road than we were a year ago? Huge questions. You know, the, the yardstick of perfection discourages and defeats. But the measure of direction builds up and encourages because even though we may fail, we're still progressing in the right way. So ask yourself some of these questions. It might be helpful. What's some of the more significant spiritual lessons you're learning in the last few months in your life? Ask yourself about relationships. Have you begun some new ones, maybe with unbelievers? Or have you healed some with folks that you've known and hurt or been hurt by? Is your personal character your conduct becoming more and more shaped by godliness? How are you using the resources, the gifts God's given? Who are you reaching out to with the gospel? You know, bottom line is, is and, and Paul, Paul doesn't hold back on this, uh, this is hard work. He, likened it, he likens it to massive athletic training, working out, exertion, toil, agony, you know, I, I knew a guy a number of years ago, discipled him, in fact, but he, was, uh, he wanted to be a bodybuilder. And, and, you know, I was just kind of watching and listening, you know, and, and he got into it. And, and he was telling me one day, sometimes guys that come in to work out really hard, they, they actually throw up because of the exertion. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> I, I don't, that's not my wheelhouse. That's not my place of being. I, I, I'm sure maybe some of you've done that, but I, I can't imagine. But, but you know, are, 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 we, are we open to these things of growing, uh, agonizing, toiling to grow in godliness? Are we like the athlete who's perfecting his sport? I think that's what Paul would challenge us with. And, and, and I want to leave you with this thought. You know, find somebody you know, who's discipling you, disciple others. You know, but the greatest discipler of all is Paul. <laughs> you want to be discipled by somebody? Immerse yourself in Paul's theology and his teaching, his view of the gospel. So there's, there's multiple places to find discipling. But remember always, it has, a, it has a purpose to grow in godliness and to bring glory and honor to God. Jesus is our model, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for this joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and being seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. You know, we don't earn a right to be on the team. Uh, being on God's team is a gift. And the question for us is, what are we going to do with that gift? Are we going to agonize and toil over it for His glory? I pray somehow this message would challenge you in a positive way to encourage you to grow in godliness. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for Timothy and Paul and for the words that have been left to us that demonstrate the power of the gospel, the work of your spirit in our lives through your word. Father, the, the invaluable help of other believers who come into our lives teaching and discipling us, Father. Maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's in a class. Maybe it's just in an LTG. Maybe it's uh, wherever it's at. God, we're just so grateful. Maybe it was 50 years ago. Maybe it's 20 years ago. Maybe it was yesterday. God, we're just so grateful that we can not only be empowered by your gospel, the truth of your word, the spirit, but also, Father, be impacted by others who have toiled and agonized over uh, being trained in godliness and impacted us. God, may we embrace that and be impactful in the lives of others. Uh, Bless our families, our homes, our community here uh, through our growth in godliness for your honor, glory, and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name.